But we're not making love We're not even trying to Tell me how it sleeps Tell me how it sleeps Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What is up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning into Sub Media Reviews. I'm your host, Kiara, and if you're listening in on the release date of this episode, Thanksgiving was just a few days ago. Thanksgiving just does not get as much love as Christmas when it comes to movies, but the movie I'm reviewing today is as close as it gets. So today we're going to discuss the 1997 Black classic, Soul Food. The movie features Vanessa Williams as Terry, Vivica A. Fox as Maxine, Nia Long as Bird, and Irma P. Hall as Big Mama or Mother Joe. As far as the men go, Michael Beach plays Miles, Mackay Pfeiffer plays Lim, Brandon Hammond plays Little Ahmad, and Jeffrey D. Sams plays Kenny. This is a quintessential Black movie filled with drama, it's set around family dinners, and it's told from the viewpoint of a child. I'm really excited to dive into this film as an adult, so here are some fun facts about the movie. The director slash writer George Tillman auditioned three people for the role of chef and food stylist on the production. Not only did he interview them, but he also taste tested their food. He ended up picking Freddie Petros from the west side of Chicago, who he said cooked in the same style and way as his grandmother. He went to her home and watched her cook in her kitchen and also sat at her table with her family. It's a very interesting interview process. <laughs> But she got the job. She got it done. The second fun fact is that Gina Rivera, Vanessa Williams, Nia Long, and Vivica A. Fox all guest starred on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air from 1990. With the exception of Gina Rivera, three of the women were different love interests of Will Smith. Vanessa Williams played Denny, who gave birth in the limo. Nia Long, of course, was Lisa, who was Will Smith's kind of long-term girlfriend in the series. Vivica A. Fox played Jazz's sister, Janet. And Gina Rivera was the shoplifter in the Someday Your Prince Will Be in Effect Part 2 episode as Carlton's love interest. Interestingly enough, Jeffrey D. Sams, Michael Beach, and little Brandon Hammond previously appeared in Waiting to Exhale. So a lot of these stars have kind of been in the same circles and worked on the same shows and movies together. Now, the last fun fact is that Vanessa Williams' iconic The Family Effed My Husband scene was actually improvised. And everyone's reaction in that moment was real and genuine. 
anyone. Vanessa Williams, who plays Terry, was actually going through relationship issues, a divorce from Ramon Hervey, as they were filming. So director George Tillman thinks that this helped her performance since the character Terry deals with similar issues as what Vanessa Williams was going through at the time. So very method, you know, <laughs> just, just some method acting, okay? If you want to check out Soul Food, as of the recording of this episode, you'll have to rent it from a streaming service like Amazon, Google, or YouTube, unless you have DirecTV. As always, I enjoy renting from Amazon because of the IMDb x-ray feature. Now here's where I start to talk about my personal connection to Soul Food. This movie was a smash hit in Black America. Not only did it feature well-known Black actors that we all loved, it featured a subject matter that was relatable and near and dear to our hearts family dinners, family dynamics, and family drama. Throughout the movie, as Black people, we get to witness ourselves on the screen going through real world issues like infidelity, the birth of a child, the death of a beloved family member, a wedding, domestic violence, reformed criminals, and a crazy uncle. Above all else, this movie felt really real. I do want to bring up that there was an HBO series of Soul Food, which was, I guess, kind of a continuation of what's going on in the lives of these characters after the movie. But I did not watch it because I did not have HBO back in the day. And I actually don't think I want to. HBO just has this thing where they make things just a lot raunchier than I personally would like. <laughs> so for me, it's just not, I don't think I'll ever watch it, unfortunately. I was six or seven when this movie came out. So I didn't completely understand everything that was going on in the film. But I knew what greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes, lambs, rams, hogs, and dogs were. And I don't know if I ever really saw that part of my culture depicted on the big screen. Food is such a big part of culture and seeing my culture and the foods that I loved and that I grew up with on the big screen was and really is still refreshing. I basically kind of grew up with this movie too. When it first came out, I identified with little Ahmad, right? Like not really understanding family dynamics, but being around to witness them and still being like hopeful and naive that adults would like grow up and handle their problems. But as I grew older though, I came to identify with Terry, which was actually really weird. Terry is not perfect in this movie, but she is made to look like the villain and we are going to talk about that, okay? But she is the character that I identify with the most. And finally, the soundtrack for this movie is in my top five soundtracks of all time, okay? The music that this movie was set to was amazing. It was relevant. It was hot at the time. And a lot of the songs still hit today, okay? Some of my favorites from the soundtrack include We're Not Making Love No More by Drew Hill, Slow Jam with Monica and Usher, playing the slow jam, this time make it sweet on a slow jam. There's also, what about you? What about me? What about us? What we gonna do? <laughs> by Total. There's also, I Care About You by kind of like the fictional group Milestone, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Girl, I care about you. I'm there for you. So why don't you care for me? Like I care about and then of course September by Earth, Wind and Fire. Do you remember the 21st night of September? That song is in there too, okay. And the kind of title song or theme song for the movie is a song for mama by Boyz to Men, but I'm not 
really partial to that song. I actually don't really care for it too much. And the words go really fast that I don't know that I understand all of them. That's all I know. <laughs> it is a very sweet song. Mama, mama, you know I love you. We all love our mamas, y'all. So that song became an instant classic and we all love boys to men. They're fantastic singers. I just don't care for the song. I think it may be the melody and the cadence of the chorus that kind of throws me off. But however, it's still top five soundtracks of all time. Okay, personally, but I'm really excited to share my perspective on this movie. And because this movie is so near and dear to my heart, even though I've been trying pretty hard to keep my solo reviews shorter, this movie is so kind of jam-packed with and it's with a lot of things and it's an ensemble cast so there are a lot of characters and storylines going on and it's also really kind of near and dear to my heart so I can't promise that this one won't be long so let's get into it. Okay, we start with the opening scene of the movie. We see a kind of collage of different pictures. It's a little scrapbookish where we see pictures from the real lives of all of the main cast members, while a song for Mama by Voice to Men plays in the background. This song was written by Babyface. And it's interesting to see how all of these characters kind of grew into their faces. <laughs> it's really interesting to just watch kind of people age. So I thought that was a cute touch. Pictures are very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts and capturing moments. So it was nice to kind of see that. And it sets the background for this being like a very family related movie. And I guess this is the title theme song because like the last line of the song or last line of the chorus is loving you is like food to my soul. So yeah, Babyface, fantastic soundtrack person. I know he also did the soundtrack to Waiting to Exhale. Yeah, Babyface is musical genius. But anyways, we start off the movie by seeing the Chicago skyline and hearing the voice of a young child narrating the story about his family, about what brought them together and what almost tore them apart. But we start this whole saga at the wedding of Lim, played by Mackay Pfeiffer and Bird, played by Nia Long. And we're introduced to the family who are all dancing to September by Earth, Wind and Fire at this wedding. So this is where we get introduced to most of the characters. So first up, we see Maxine, played by Vivica A. Fox, and Kenny, played by Jeffrey, who have two and a half kids. Ahmad, the narrator, is one of the children. There's a little girl named Kelly, and then there's a baby on the way. So you'll see that as the people are dancing at the wedding, it gives you some insight into who they are as people and their personalities. Maxine, Kenny, and Kelly are all dancing together. They're all really happy and having a good time. The next up, the next couple we see is Terry, played by Vanessa Williams. And we have Miles, the husband, who is played by Michael Beach, who are both lawyers and have a lot of money. They appear to be childless, and we learn later they are childless. <laughs> and Terry is kind of dancing reluctantly and pretty stiffly while Miles is trying to encourage her to like loosen up and get down a little bit more. Terry comes across as being like kind of over it. And finally, the last couple we see here is Bird, played by Nia Long, and Lim, played by Mackay Pfeiffer. Now, I had to rewind this part of the movie like four times to try to hear what Bird's real name was. Ahmad said something like her real name was Aunt Roddy or something like that, but her nickname was Bird because of how skinny she used to be. And when people used to call skinny people Bird back, you know, in my memory, I was like, birds aren't really that skinny. Like, I feel like they're usually a little round in the tummy area 
Aaliyah. So I've never really understood that. But anyways, Bird is Big Mama's youngest child. And this is her wedding that, you know, we're at right now. And Bird and Lim are dancing happily and a little freakily while Lim holds a bottle of champagne. So the way that they are dancing, they are coming across as young and wild. And we also find out that Lim has done time in jail. So we also have Big Mama Jo, who's played by Irma P. Hall. She is the matriarch of the family with impeccable cooking skills and a lot of social capital in the community and with her family. We also meet Reverend Williams, who is played by Carl Wright. This is a freaky hungry reverend that makes a joke about Bird marrying him and sleeping with him on Tuesdays. And if you grew up in the Black church, you might know a man like this. We'll talk more about him later. Ugh. Anyways, we also meet Samuel, played by Mel Jackson, who pops up at the wedding and puts some money into the bride's cleavage. Apparently, he is one of Bird's exes. And right as Bird kind of storms off from her ex's presence at her wedding, some light-skinned, short-dress-wearing floozy starts dancing all up on the groom. It's y'all I have never seen anything like this but if my husband did that to me on my wedding day we would spend our honeymoon in jail how disrespectful is this my family would have put an end to that stuff immediately okay just looking at it I am infuriated I'm you know have been married for two years now and we're just out of the newlywed phase I think two years is the max but there's no way there's no way that could happen at my wedding I don't want to talk about this anymore <laughs> It's pissing me off. You can tell that their marriage is already going to be tumultuous and, you know, we see it later. So it's at this point, everyone's kind of witnessing what's going on. Big Mama sends Ahmad, who she admits is her favorite grandchild, to go get Aunt Bird as the old folks in the room watch the groom get his freak on in horror. Okay, and in a quick scene, the sisters, who are all really the main characters of this movie, are in the bathroom talking about like what's happening. Bird was so distracted by Simwell that she didn't even see the hoochie dancing on her new husband. So when Bird leaves to confront Lim, Maxine says that's what Bird gets for bringing in a man who ain't got nothing and pushing him off on family. So we know that in addition to having a criminal record, Lim also is not stable financially. And then Terry is like, family, you mean pushing him off on me? I paid for this wedding. <laughs> and so Terry here is saying, yeah, whatever y'all don't have, I guess I have to pick up the tab. So we're already getting a feel for the kind of dynamics between the sisters. So after Bert kind of witnesses this travesty for herself, they kind of resolve to go beat up the hoochie coochie mama. And so we get the sisterly dynamics in this moment. Bird is the wild and free one with a little bit of a past. We got Terry is the one who pays for everything. And Maxine, she's down with the sickness. She's, <laughs> she's down to go beat the hoe down. Yeah, we're going to talk about Maxine later. I'm having a hard time coming up with what Maxine's role is right now. But when they return to the reception, a crowd surrounds the groom and Big Mama who are now dancing together and all is right at the wedding. So he's no longer dancing with the Hoochie Coochie Mama. He is dancing with his new mother-in-law, okay? Personally, this would not work for me. I would still require blood if this was my wedding. But we scrape past that in this movie and it couldn't be me, okay? Because Hoochie Coochie Mama would be one with the pavement, okay? <laughs> Anyways, Big Mama saves today and she is, you know, we see her as the rock of the family, okay? 
So in this next little quick scene, we hear Ahmad kind of narrating the kind of history behind Sunday dinners in his family. He also connects it to the history of slavery in the United States as well. But he basically says like after church, the family would get together to eat and talk smack and that it was a Southern tradition from Mississippi that his, you know, big mama had and continued when she moved up to Chicago with her husband. They show us like what the regular Sunday dinners look like and then they also show us what Thanksgiving looks like, which is much bigger with more interesting family members. Come to find out before the patriarch of the family passed away, he owned a barbershop, a corner store and a laundromat. And because of that, there's a rumor that Big Mama has a stash of money hidden away. But Maxine thinks that it is a myth. Now, there is a scene where Reverend Williams tries to kiss each one of the daughters. And my question is, why do we accept creepy sexual assault from nasty old men? Why? Put a stop to it, okay? <laughs> we can't do that anymore. We can't do that, okay? But we also learned about Big Mama's brother, Uncle Pete. He stays up in a room on the second floor of Mama Joe's house and is basically a recluse who is suggested to have mental health issues. So the kids try to get a glimpse of him and that is really funny to me. Like, Amaya puts his foot in the door to try to see like what was going on with Uncle Pete and Uncle Pete is able to keep them out of his room and they run away scared. It's very funny to me. I don't know why I was so tickled by that. So now it's an actual Sunday dinner and all the family is at Mama Joe's house. The guys are playing cards. Miles and Ahmad are singing together and the women are in the kitchen. Now, depending on your family, men may or may not have cooked. It may also depend on what's on the menu. For instance, in my family, if we grilled, the men were typically on the grill and the ladies did the sides. But there are times where my uncle, who is an excellent cook, would do like the majority of the cooking. So kind of depending on your family may or may not have participated in cooking meals. In this movie, it seems to be only the ladies, pretty much. <laughs> so I don't really care for that. I'm actually a firm believer that everyone should know how to cook, that it is a necessary life skill. I personally, though, dislike cooking. I find it to be boring and tedious. There are people who really get joy out of seeing other people enjoy their meals. And for me, it's just like, if I can throw it in the crock pot, throw it in the oven, I'm good. Season it up, make it taste good with minimal effort. And I will make it an exception for the holidays. <laughs> that's, that's about it. <laughs> But look, while the women are cooking, a few things happen. Bert sneaks away to have sex with her new husband in a bathroom. We find out that Terry lent Bert some money for a shop, which is Bert's hair salon, and she wants her money back. She makes a joke about it, her being seen as an ATM, automatically Terry's money. We have Maxine and Big Mama who want Terry to relax on shaking down the family for her money. And we also find out that Terry is on husband number two. Now, already, I kind of don't like some of these dynamics. Terry's coming across as stuck up and kind of money grubby and judgmental but I actually think that Terry makes a lot of sense and we'll discuss that more later but just as Big Mama is telling Ahmad not to throw flammable items on the stove Big Mama ends up burning herself without knowing it when she moves a pot off the burner and Ahmad is like Big Mama you're on <laughs> it's not funny the reason I'm laughing is that a YouTuber that I watched 
her name on Twitter used to be Big Mama Your Arm. And it's just kind of like a, a common quote from the movie. And it's not funny. The situation is actually pretty grave in the movie. But just the saying, Big Mama Your Arm is just so funny to me. But come to find out, Big Mama has diabetes and she is not taking care of herself. She won't see a doctor because it ain't nothing that a little turpentine and some herbs can't cure. Okay. But they're like, you know, turpentine ain't gonna cure them diabetes, girl. Like... <laughs> We also find out she has not been taking her insulin. So her daughters are obviously and rightfully worried about her. Diabetes, of course, is a big deal in the black community. And one of the questions I have is why did they make Big Mama look so homely? Irma P. Hall, who played Big Mama, was 62 when this movie was filmed. And for whatever reason, the way they dressed her made her look so much older like too old to have daughters those ages is what I was thinking but after I did the math of like how old Irma P. Hall was versus the actresses who played her daughters it actually was pretty accurate as to like how old she would have been to actually have her children so I was like they made Big Mama look so homely but people I feel like black people who actually have 62 year old grandmothers don't look or dress like that anymore just personally I feel like that was something that maybe my great-grandmother would wear those same types of clothes as opposed to my own grandmother who still had like more youthful appearance about her now it's dinner time y'all they didn't finish cooking and Reverend Williams is doing a freaky prayer and I'm like what's wrong with this man what's wrong with this family that they keep inviting this little pervert to the, <laughs> to the dinners okay but big mama makes an announcement after the prayer that she dreamt of fishes, which meant that someone was coming or that a baby was on the way. And interestingly enough, both of those things were true, but we'll get into that later. I do want to point out that grandmas in the Black community, I want to say the Black community, I don't know if other cultures believe this as well, but we feel like grandmas have like mystical abilities to them in the Black community. Like we believe in the power of their dreams or like their ability to predict things. It's very interesting. When my mom became a grandma, she told me that she had envisioned her children having a certain amount of children and like the genders of those children. And I don't know if it's like a confirmation bias thing, but she's been right so far. So grandmas in the Black community, like we be believing their little dreams and stuff. I will say that. Now, then they do this weird thing around the table where they start talking about like old sayings, like some of them I had never heard of, but Bird had made like her own dish, fish cakes or something, and nobody wants to eat her food. And we find out that Terry isn't a great cook either. But then Maxine starts goading Terry by saying that, you know, Maxine is claiming that she's the best cook. And then Terry fires back with her success as a lawyer. And come to find out they haven't gotten along since the early 80s. Terry dated Kenny and his Jerry curl back in the day, but Maxine basically stole him away from her and now Terry gets the pleasure of seeing this happy couple and their kids once a week for the rest of eternity to me it sounds like Terry is in the seventh circle of hell okay it actually comes across as if Maxine and Terry both might be jealous of each other right so we have this successful lawyer we have this stay-at-home mother with a successful marriage and it seems like both of them are kind of jealous of each other Terry wants the successful marriage with the children and <laughs> Maxine wants you know a good education and a great job so I think they each kind of envy each other and it comes up a lot in this movie 
So because Kenny has no like couth, we find out that Lamb went to jail for selling drugs and that Mama Joe's husband was a gambler and they almost lost the house because of, you know, he almost gambled all their money away. But Mama Joe does this little monologue about how the family needs to be a fist instead of, you know, pointing fingers. And right then Cousin Faith comes in and Cousin Faith is actually the niece that Big Mama took in after her sister passed away. And the sisters... The main three sisters in the movie are not happy to see Faith, okay? She's big trouble and she's rumored to have been a stripper turned rap video dancer. And in a quick under the breath combo, it's kind of decided that Terry will take Faith in. And I'm like, why couldn't she stay with Big Mama and Uncle Pete? It was lost on me in the end, but I think I figured it out later on. So suddenly, while we're at the dinner table, Maxine goes into labor and a new baby is welcomed into the family. Everyone is excited, but instead of Big Mama kind of rejoicing with everybody, she kind of fell asleep at the hospital. So next thing we know, Big Mama and her daughters are in a doctor's appointment getting her checked out and her diabetes has gone unchecked. And the doctors are like, we got to amputate your leg, girl. We ought to take it. And she is like, ain't nobody taking my leg, okay? Big Mama is strong-willed and she does not want to have the procedure done. Y'all, there's tons of black people. <laughs> tons of people with diabetes, not just black people. Tons of people with diabetes that have a very hard time accepting that they have not done the right things when it comes to taking care of themselves. And that are unwilling to deal with the consequences that come with being an amputee. But for some people, it gets to that point and they have to do the procedure to save their life or they deal with the consequences of that. And it, sometimes it's just people are doing what they want to do. Sometimes people are in denial. Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. And I'm sure a lot of people have been in the situation. So this feels really relatable as well. But we flip over to Bird's Hair Studio. It has had its grand opening and Ahmad is doing some child labor in the shop when Simuel walks in to demean Bird's dream. Terry lent Bird the money. And this is, look, I'm going to sound like a Terry apologist in this movie. Okay. They villainize Terry all the time, but she actually invested in her sister's dream. She didn't have to do that. She didn't. Okay, the exchange that's going on between Samuel and Bird in this moment is freaking hilarious to me. Bird is like, I'm married now and my husband puts it down in the bedroom. His name is written all over this kitty cat. And Samuel is like, take this $15,000 bracelet as a wedding gift because I know your broke ass husband can't afford to give you anything. And Samuel is like, call me if you need me. This conversation is just so funny to me. It's supposed to be filled with this kind of sexual tension, but they're both kind of insulting each other at the same time. It's, I don't know why, it's just freaking hilarious. Also, Mel Jackson was like a hot man in the 90s. Like, I don't know what he looks like today, but he was kind of that guy back in the 90s. So he did a good job playing like the handsome, you know, villain. <laughs> He's the real villain. Okay, but anyways, in this next scene, we see Kenny buying a computer for his new baby. What is that? What even is that? Okay, he's low-key an idiot, but he adores his wife and he comes across as a really dutiful husband and father. He puts on Slow Jam by Usher and Monica, play another slow jam so that he can dance with his wife. And there's a knock on the door and it's actually Lim wanting to talk to Kenny about a job. Turns out Lim lied on his application about being a felon, so he got fired. And so he asked Kenny, can you help me out with some jobs, okay? 
Now, Lamb also is seen as, I don't want to call him a villain. In this movie, he comes across as really wayward, someone who makes poor decisions. And for the most part, that's true. However, we don't give Lamb enough credit. It takes a lot of guts to ask for help as a man. And he did it immediately after he was fired. He's really trying to step up and be like a good husband. So Kenny agrees to help him. But then Kenny and Lamb have a hilarious conversation about whether or not Lamb should tell Bird that he lost his job, given how a man with no job will be asked to do a bunch of tasks around the house okay if you unemployed you're gonna work around this house <laughs> that felt very true to life as well but Kenny encourages Lim to lie and even gives him money to kind of tide him over it's poor advice it's really 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 bad advice on Kenny's part and this is why I say Kenny is actually like a little bit slow in this movie <laughs> But we flip over to Aunt Terry's house where Ahmad is spending the night with her and Miles. When Ahmad steps away to greet cousin Faith, Terry and Miles have a disagreement. And now we can see that their relationship is actually really strained. Miles took $5,000 out of their joint savings without talking to Terry as a deposit to record a CD. He put a deposit down on some studio time. You know, he has a band. He wants to make an album. And Terry was like, this band was supposed to be a hobby. Okay, but she's been a real money on this. And she's like, you should really be focusing on your career as an attorney. Like you have a fantastic career, but it's obvious that Miles kind of has other dreams. So it's right away, Terry's not really supportive of this. But again, we make Terry the villain for not supporting her husband in his pipe dreams. But in all reality, taking $5,000 out of your joint savings without talking to your partner is unreasonable. They making her seem money grubby but as husband and wife, communication is everything. And for $5,000 to just go missing without you saying anything is bad behavior. And instead of the narrative in this moment being that Michael Beach's character is not being a good husband, is not being a good communicator, is doing things in what could be considered a sneaky way or being like neglectful or ignorant <laughs> or even irresponsible, Terry is seen again as this money grubbing villain. And again, I don't like the way that she was portrayed in this movie. My, 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 have the tables have turned since 1997. <laughs> but anyways, we move on. So in this next scene, Big Mama has finally agreed to get her leg amputated. And as she is about to go under the knife, She's able to kind of talk with her family before she goes into the operating room and she talks to Max and she praises Max for being the strongest in the family. And then she also talks to Ahmad. Now, one of the things that I feel like people don't really talk about in Soul Food is how Big Mama has her favorites. I'm really, really, really not feeling that. Okay. But during the procedure, there was a complication and Ahmad is taking it pretty hard. She ended up having a stroke during the surgery and is now in a coma. So, when Ahmad sees her, he breaks down and it's like, ooh. And he also sees that her leg was amputated as well. So for a young child, I don't know how old Ahmad is supposed to be. 10 or 11, probably 10-ish is right because his parents were married for 11 years. So he should be about 10. So in this next scene, Lim, they do like a quick snapshot of Lim who is at an interview. He was honest on his application and he, of course, does not get the job because of his record as a felon. And on his way home from the interview, he comes across Ahmad who appears to have just left a train station or something. And so he picks up Ahmad and Lim confides in this child. I don't know what it is about Ahmad that makes 
Lim so comfortable. I think it's more so along the lines of like, he's one of the only people in the family that won't really judge him. And he feels comfortable talking to Amon. It's a little bit strange, but I guess I can kind of understand what that means. And so Amon ends up finding a gun in the glove box because this man is a felon. He's not supposed to have no weapons, but Amon is like, sounds like you need to try to love yourself more. And I'm like, this little kid has been hanging around his grandma too much. <laughs> I'm going to talk more about what I mean by that later. But we flip the scene again and the adults are gathered around Big Mama's bedside and there's a debate about whether or not they are going to do Sunday dinner the next day given that Big Mama is in a coma. Terry thinks that they shouldn't and then brings up how Maxine is jealous of her and then Bird is like girl let's take a vote okay. Everyone except for Terry votes for Sunday dinner and Terry is like you know, if y'all have Sunday dinner with Big Mama, it's basically like y'all are treating her like she's already dead, which is a valid point. Okay. Maxine, though, probably thinks that Big Mama would want them to continue the tradition even without her, given that the tradition has never been broken in 40 years. Okay. Another valid point. They both have valid points, y'all. But instead of coming to a compromise or working things out, they argue and they get loud. And they get kicked out of the hospital as Cousin Faith, Kelly, and Ahmad sit outside. Cousin Faith is with the little kid. <laughs> and that's probably best where she's, you know, that's where she's needed, okay? She better stay out of it. And an interesting narrated part by Ahmad, he surmises that the family didn't truly gather for Sunday dinner due to Terry and Maxine's fight. I think that it's a little deeper than that. I mean, it sounds like he thinks that the fight divided the family when it really is the grief, the stress, the heightened amount of fear that they're experiencing that stops them from coming together in that moment. It's not necessarily about the fight. It's about how they're each dealing and coping with the fact that Big Mama is in a coma. And so that's really the first time where I was like, Ahmad is narrating this from a child's point of view. And it's less like this wise little 10 year old. And it's more actually sounds like it's coming from a 10 year old as opposed to like a 10 year old who's wise beyond his years and is always hanging around his grandma. I hope that that makes sense to me that his logic came across as childlike as opposed to really what the actual issue was. But anyways, the next day, Bird tries to pull together the Sunday dinner, but she burnt everything and only Lim and Reverend William showed up. Even Uncle Pete didn't want her food, okay? <laughs> I don't know if this was supposed to be similar to, it reminded me of the scene. Okay, when Uncle Pete rejected Bird's food, it reminded me of the scene from The Color Purple where Mr. tried to prepare breakfast for Suge. And Suge threw it out of the room <laughs> because it was awful. And this reminded me of that because Uncle Pete basically slid it out of his room like, I'm not finna eat that. <laughs> so basically, when Big Mama went into her coma, it was the first time in 40 years that they did not have Sunday dinner. So that's kind of sad, right? But Ahmad pops up to the hospital to visit Big Mama the next day and give her the lowdown on what's going on. And Ahmad kisses her. They have a really good bond. Apparently there is, when I was doing my research, there is a written version of Soul Food, if I'm remembering correctly, that has more explanations 
about what is happening and what goes on in this story. And one of the missing pieces is that Ahmad had something wrong with him when he was born, something that like limited his mobility or something. And Big Mama was like there to help him do his first steps. And so they have this kind of like bond together because of her helping him to kind of overcome and, you know, define those odds with his health issue. That's why they have such a tight bond. So next up, we are at Miles and Terry's house. Miles wants to dance with Terry, but she's really not in a mood. She is not for the fun in this movie at all, okay? She also tells Miles in this moment that she can't come to see him perform with his band tonight because she is swamped with work. As a successful attorney who actually is out here attorneying, she has to work while he fool a lies with his band. <laughs> so He's like, mm, well, since you can't come to see me tonight, I might as well tell you that I want to pursue music full time. And of course, she is not on board. OK, but suddenly Cousin Faith pops up with that awful wig. Cousin Faith's hair in this movie. God, y'all. I don't know what it is about that hair that pisses me off. <laughs> the bangs, how high it is on her head. I don't know. I don't know. I hate it. But y'all, I laughed so hard because Miles had already left the kitchen at this point. Cousin Faith pops into the kitchen all giddy, wearing basically a bra and some jeans, prancing around the house, getting juice out the fridge. And Terry, this is probably one of the funniest things Terry said in this movie. She asked Faith, you found a job yet? <laughs> I actually paused the movie to laugh at that. That was so funny. But in this moment, we find out more about Faith and why nobody really trusts her and why they think she's a troublemaker. We find out that she has been arrested before. We find out that she has ran up Big Mama's credit before. We find out that she had Big Mama co-sign for a car for her and then she disappeared, leaving Big Mama with the car note. And because Terry is the money bags in the family, chances are Terry was the one who had to pick up the bill for all that stuff, okay? So Terry warns her, you're not going to start no shit, okay? <laughs> and Faith is like, mm, I've changed. But Terry knows what's up. She knows that Faith is, you know, she don't have no faith in Faith, okay? <laughs> and rightfully so, y'all, because the tables are about to turn, okay? Next up, we see Miles Band performing at what looks like a little, like, local club or lounge. The band is called Milestone, and the singers so far consists of some famous faces that we know we have Babyface, we have kevon edmonds we have melvin edmonds and then we also have casey and jojo casey jojo oh yeah. <laughs> they're singing i care about you y'all kevon I'm, i don't know if i'm or kevon i'm not sure i'm pronouncing his name correctly but he is one of Babyface's brothers he is also kind of the lead singer of after seven but he has such a lovely voice it's really high it's almost feminine but i just freaking love his voice so much okay but just like the little snake she is cousin faith decides to show up to support miles in his pipe dream that terry doesn't believe in okay and so after the show they chat and right away faith is kind of providing him with the reassurance and the positivity and the affirmations that he is not getting from terry she confesses to hearing his chat with the unsupportive terry okay and supposedly Faith came to this show with a man because Miles mentions that like, hey, your little boyfriend is getting jealous or something like that. And I was like, I don't see her walk in with no man. 
She walked in by herself. I didn't see that. But anyways, Faith says, I want to dance. And they can identify with each other from wanting to do something in the arts. And they even end up dancing together. Y'all, this is so inappropriate. <laughs> so inappropriate. And after Terry finishes telling off Faith, there's something in Faith's eyes that basically says, I'm going to get you back. Right after Faith says, you know what? I've changed. I'm a different person now. She's so upset with the way Terry talked to her that she's like, I'm going to take your man because Terry is a snake and a troublemaker. And we think Terry is the villain. Okay, 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 moving on. So next up, we see Bird and some of her employees come to get the leftovers from that uneaten Sunday dinner she cooked and they hear something in the house. When they investigate, it's actually Lim who accidentally exposes himself to Bird's employees. <laughs> but the jig is up and he has to be honest about not having a job. This is when I realize Bird and Lim are staying with Big Mama. For whatever reason, when I watched this movie in previous years, I did not put two and two together. But yes, Bird and Lim are staying with Big Mama. To me personally, it's not a good idea to get married when you don't have your own place to stay. Don't spend any effort on, well, to be honest, Terry paid for their wedding. So I guess I don't know how much they put on their own wedding, but they could have put it towards getting an apartment or something. To me, that just the order of operations don't make sense. It's, it's not PEMDAS, okay? It's in <laughs> Anyways, they have an interesting argument about the system and whether or not someone can actually use the system as a valid excuse for why they don't have a job or why they're not advancing when it comes to the like jail system, how when people get out of jail, they really want to change their lives, but because they have a record and no one wants to give them a second chance. And, you know, Bird's character is like, that's not a valid excuse. You're always worried about the man keeping you down. You just got to keep your head down and work hard. There's validity to both sides of that argument, but whatever. Bird says, you know, the shop is doing good right now. I'll help carry the load. But Lim is like, I don't need you to help me find a job. Okay. Despite him going on six interviews and not getting anywhere. But, you know, sometimes you let people do what they need to do. Okay. You know, he has too much pride to ask his lady for help, even though like as a partner, that's what you're supposed to do. So... <laughs> Anyways, in the next scene, Miles comes across Faith, who is arguing with a man in the street. I don't know how big Chicago is, but these people are running into each other quite easily. I don't, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that goes. But anyways, Faith has an audition and she's arguing with this guy on the street because he is asking her to pay for him to play the music that she's going to dance to at her audition. And he's like, if you don't have the money up front, I'm not you know, messing around with you. And so when Faith says that her audition is basically like in 15 minutes or something, and she's like, oh, I need somebody to play music, play anything. I'll dance to it. Please, please, please help me. Please help me. She's really desperate. So Miles kind of reluctantly agrees. So we flip over to the audition. Faith is, for whatever reason, reminds me of Aaliyah in this moment. I don't know why. Is it if it's the long hair and they both have lighter skin or the bandana? I don't know what it was. Okay. But Miles plays for her audition. It does not look like a stunt double. So I think Gina Rivera, who plays Faith, actually danced in this scene. The dancing is 
decent. But if you pay attention really closely, you can see that she does the same dances over again. Like everything she does, we actually see twice, but from different angles. And it's like, could she only dance for like 30 seconds and <laughs> we just doubled up on it? I don't freaking know. But Miles plays the music from, or does like the piano instrumental from A Dream by DeBarge, which is like actually really heavily sampled song. If you listen to Black Street, they also sample this song. Don't leave me, girl. Please stay with me tonight. Don't leave me, girl. Yeah. That song. That's very, very popular. Actually, that song bangs. It's not in this movie. But when I hear that music, I actually don't think of the DeBarges first. I think of Black Street first. So, okay. Anyways, y'all, things are about to get worse <laughs> at this point of the movie. Against Lim's wishes, in this next scene, we see Bird call Samuel, the troublemaking ex, to get Lim a job. Now, Ahmad sees this going on as he comes in to do more child labor at the shop. And he realizes this is about to be bad news. At this point, we don't know what Bird offers in exchange for Samuel to get her husband a job, but whatever, whatever. When Lim gets home that night, she has champagne and rose petals and candles. And Lim, as he's describing and being really happy about getting a job, he was not suspicious enough. Okay, he's telling the story and there's obviously holes in the story and Bird is distracting him with her sex appeal in a romantic gesture. So I was like, is this out of guilt? Probably, but Lim isn't smart enough to ask more questions. <laughs> but we see Lim on the job at this new job. It's at a printing company and he's doing good work. He really just needed a chance to redeem himself. Okay, he's a hard worker. And the guy who's like the manager of the area really is saying like, you're doing a fantastic job, right? And so things get hairy when Simwell St. James enters a large employee mess hall at the printing company where Lim is working. Now come to find out, Simwell is the chief executive of sales and marketing for this printing company. I never picked up on the fact that Simwell got this man a job at the same company he works for. Bird, what the heck? You couldn't ask this man to call in a favor at a different company. You want your husband to work at the same company that Simwell works at? That's how desperate you were? That you would want your ex and your new man to work at the same company? <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> That's an awful idea. That's so awful. I never picked up on this before, y'all. But, oh, Jesus. Simwell is having this conversation with Lim. Lim, for whatever reason, is not picking up what Simwell is kind of putting down. At first, it appears that he doesn't really know who Simwell is, which is a little bit shocking, a little bit shocking to me because Simwell keeps popping up. OK, Simwell was even at the wedding. But when you're getting danced on by Hoochie Coochie Mama, maybe you don't notice someone feeling up your wife at your wedding. <laughs> anyway, Simwell is kind of talking down to Lim. He's like, you know, I make eighty thousand dollars. And I was like, how much is that today? Eighty. Look, I did the calculations or I let Google do the calculations. If you adjust eighty thousand dollars in 1997 for inflation it's a little over $150,000 a year in 2023 that's some bank for back then and it's kind of some bank for now okay but he talks about how he pulls some strings to get Lim hired 
And he comes across as being surprised that Bird did not tell him. What made Simwell think that this was a good idea? He just came out there to flex his muscles on this man to say the only reason you're here is because of me. He even calls Bird Cola and Lim gets upset by this, understandably. And he ends up punching and kicking the crap out of Simwell and he loses another job. This man then lost... <laughs> He's lost two jobs. <laughs> He's lost two jobs in this movie already at this point. <laughs> but Lim pulls up to the beauty shop and in one of the most threatening scenes I have ever seen in cinematic history, he slams the door so hard on her, you know, front shop door that the glass breaks. And then he kind of takes her in the, the back of the shop and, and yells at her and pushes her and roughs her up a little bit about putting him in that position. And while he is right to be mad because he asked her not to get involved, he has reached the threshold of abuse in this moment with the yelling, the screaming, being in her face, pushing her. He's doing too much. Okay, at this point. Now he's curious about what she promised him in exchange for that job that he got him as well as that $15,000 bracelet. The only reason I know it's $15,000 because I did the research, y'all. But <laughs> Bird messed up, y'all. Bird messed up, okay? And, you know, he ends up leaving and he's like, don't talk to me, don't touch me, I'm getting out of here or whatever. And next thing we see, she's throwing up in the bathroom crying, which is a little bit of foreshadowing, but whatever, whatever. So Terry... And what I think is actually her biggest transgression in this movie calls in a criminal cousin named Blimp to beat Lim up because she thought that Lim had beat Bird up. So I do think Lim was abusive and he pushed his wife and grabbed up on her in this moment. So he deserved a good straightening out, but not in this manner here. Okay. So when the hood cousin tries to press Lim in a bar, they end up getting into an altercation and Lim pulls out a gun on Blimp, which obviously violates his probation. This part is a little interesting to me. So when Lim was in the bar getting wasted, the bartender ends up calling Kenny to come pick up Lim. Again, don't know how big of an area Chicago is. Don't know how big it is, but it feels really tight knit because it's only in movies where I have seen a bartender call somebody and be like, come get your brother, come get your husband, come get your whatever. They're drinking themselves to death or whatever. That's just very interesting to me. I've never seen that happen in real life. Does that happen in real life? Do bartenders call close family members to say, come get your cousin because he's drinking his life away in the bar today? I don't know. But anyways, Kenny, Ahmad, and Bird end up showing up to the bar just in time to see Lim being carted off to jail for violating his pro baby. And this time it's a good amount of time that he's going to be away. Okay. And so in this next scene, Faith comes home and she chats with Miles in her awful wig and Faith ended up getting the audition. So she's all happy and whatnot. And then Miles put in his two weeks notice at the law firm today. Oh my gosh, what is this man doing? And Faith has faith in him. And they're like, mm, let's drink to celebrate. Inappropriate. And looking at like the amount of beers that were in their hands and on the tables, they didn't have two or three beers a piece. Inappropriate. And Faith is laying down with her booty halfway out and her panties showing inappropriate <laughs> but faith is like mm, i have to get up out of your house i'm a traveler i need to roam i can't stay nowhere for this long okay and me and terry being in the same house don't really mix okay but Miles kind of calls her on her BS. Miles is like you're full of crap you're pretending like you don't need anybody you sound like a lonely person okay and miles is like i'm gonna go to my studio and faith for whatever reason is turned on by being called out i guess and she follows him to his studio 
And she has this really sad kind of look on her face as they caress each other right before they betray Terry up against the wall, y'all. Y'all, it was just so awful. And just then, Ahmad and Terry arrive at the house. And so they're like, oh, nobody's answering us when we're calling out for them. Let's head up to the studio to, you know, see what's going on with, you know, Uncle Miles. And so they head up to the studio. It's like a, a rooftop situation. They have like a really nice house. I do want to say that. Terry and Miles' house is very nice, very modern for 1997. You can tell that they have money. It looks like their house may be like a... I don't, is it called a brownstone if you're in Chicago? I don't know what it's called, but they might have like a three-story kind of house situation. And then the rooftop area, you have to actually go outside to reach the rooftop studio that Miles has set up. And so while Ahmad is distracted by the view, Terry is able to see Faith and Miles doing it up against the wall. And Ahmad almost sees, but Terry is like, no, I'm about to whisk you away. We finna go back to your house, okay? And she whisks him away from there. And let me tell y'all something. We villainized Terry in this movie. Villainize her all you want, okay? Terry could have wrecked shop up in there. Terry could have went in and murdered both of them right away. But she prioritized her nephew in that moment, okay? Y'all wanna villainize her. She did the right thing in that moment, okay? So she leaves with the kid. And once Miles and Faith are done, they look guilty AF. They actually look very guilty, okay? So <laughs> later that night, there is a party for Maxine and Kenny's 11th wedding anniversary. So again, this weird juxtaposition between a marriage that's falling apart for Terry and celebrating the success of like a, a long lasting 11 year marriage between Kenny and Maxine, okay? I feel like an 11th wedding anniversary is a weird thing to celebrate given that Big Mama is in a coma. <laughs> They were literally having a party for an 11th wedding anniversary. Like I said, that's like an odd year, y'all. I feel like it's a little bit weird, okay? There's a little bit of a flick flub here too. Now, a flick flub is basically like a discontinuity like between scenes. And so when they show the house that the party is taking place in, which is Maxine and Kenny's house, outside it's nighttime. But from inside the house, it looks like it's daytime from the amount of sunlight that's coming in through the window. So there is a little bit of discontinuity there. I always like to point those things out. But Maxine has somehow instantly returned to her pre-baby body. Assuming that's what her pre-baby body looked like. I don't really know. But What About Us by Total is playing. Total, help me sing. Total, help me shine. What about you? What about you? What about us? What we gonna do? What we gonna do? What we gonna do? That's my song, y'all. But. Terry is in the kitchen crying because, of course, she just witnessed her husband sleeping with the troublemaking cousin. Y'all, I don't know that I could deal with that. I don't know that I could deal with that, y'all. Terry's better than me, personally. <laughs> but anyways, she's in the kitchen crying while everyone else is partying. And then, you know, we slow it down to Drew Hill's We're Not Making Love No More. Y'all, Drew Hill is probably my favorite R&B group of all time. I'm actually going to see them in January. Wow, that's nice. We're Not Making Love No More. Love that song. Sure, I've been in love and trying to, but in the end, I still chose you. No one could ever make me feel this way. Drew Hill, never say, whoa, whoa. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, 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 does it ever stay the same? Hey, yeah. Love that song, okay? Ahmad is watching his folks slow dance in the creepiest manner. 
creepy. watching his folks slow dance and it's actually a little weird y'all he just seems so happy that his parents are happy i guess but maxine you know has this bright idea to get all of the kind of grown-ups together in the kitchen to discuss something so you know at this party kenny goes into the kitchen to find terry crying and she hugs Kenny saying that she kind of envies the strength of his marriage with Maxine and she wonders how it would go if they had gotten married and she kind of resolves to say like I probably would have screwed that up too but the rest of the adults show up in the kitchen to have this discussion at a party Maxine what were you thinking I understand that y'all are all together but I don't know that this is the right time to be talking about this okay but anyways Maxine ends up bringing up Big Mama's hospital bills and about all of them kind of pitching in to take care of them because insurance ain't gonna cover it. Bird gets dismissed when she brings up the rumored stash of cash that Big Mama supposedly has. But suddenly, very suddenly, Maxine is like, well, Terry and Miles can pay for everything and we'll pay y'all back in installment. And Terry says, nah, the way we get out of this is we sell the big house and put Uncle Pete in the home like we always talked about. Okay, that's how we pay the medical bills, okay? And so Terry was like, ain't nobody paying taxes on the house. Ain't nobody paying utilities on the house but Terry. Now, there are two grown adults on top of Big Mama and Uncle Pete who are also living in the house. And they're not pitching in. Terry's the only one paying for like the maintenance on this house. What is happening? Y'all don't understand why Terry's mad? <laughs> Y'all don't know what's going on? She's being financially abused by her family. <laughs> She's being punished for being successful. Y'all don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Anyways, Terry's like, I'm the guardian of the estate. And so Kenny starts chiming in, talking about the house is for the family. And they work so hard to keep the house in the family. And then the iconic line from Terry comes out. F the family. I let the family into my house. And you know what? The family F my husband. Faith F my husband. Now, in my research, like I mentioned earlier, we find out that this line was improvised. So when Miles says, this, oh, maybe we should talk about this. Terry becomes enraged and picks up a big knife and chases Miles through the party and almost gets Faith too. It's very Michael Myers, but I'm on it. Like, I love it. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> Best scene of the movie. Vanessa Williams, fantastic actress. The rage that was inside of her just felt very real. Again, she was going through a divorce at the time of this movie, so that probably explains a little bit of it. But y'all, I love this scene of this movie, okay? Faith was all apologetic and whatnot after almost getting stabbed. And, you know, Terry's like, get out! <laughs> that ain't even Terry's house, but she was like, get out of here! Ahmad, of course, witnesses all of this. And even Maxine has some compassion for her sister. It doesn't really vocalize it, but you can see it on her face. So, yeah, everything that happens in this movie is through the eyes of Ahmad. So he has to kind of be there to witness everything as it's happening. So we always see him at least off to the side somewhere. So to kind of demonstrate that this really is from his viewpoint of you know everything that's going on so next we flip over to big mama who has been in a coma for five weeks now and since then the family has fallen to pieces okay but ahmad is with her in this moment and witnesses her waking up what a big kawinky dink that he would happen to be there when she wakes up out of her coma i mean oh my gosh but ahmad i realize at this point this little kid has a lot of freedom running around chicago okay <laughs> but big mama was really happy to see him she recognized that he had been there while she was in her coma and that the family was a mess without her and this is why you cannot center family 
peace, family connection, family togetherness around a single individual, okay? They will not always be there. They will not always be present. The best way to help maintain your family is to make sure that you are all connecting with each other, okay? We can't have Big Mama be the centerpiece of the family because when she's gone, the family literally falls apart. We need to have good connections with each other, okay? So Big Mama says, you know, if you let the bad things in life stop you, you won't be around to see the good things. And this is where I'm starting to realize that most of Big Mama's lines are either these weird kind of sayings or platitudes or denial about her diabetes. She's a very kind of two-dimensional character. (laughs) She's either saying, nobody's cutting off my leg, or she's saying, you know, we got to come together because our family is a fist. Or, you know, if you let the bad things in life stop you, you won't be around to see the good things. Or, you know, just these kind of sayings, platitudes. I saw a fish last, or I dreamt of a fish last night. It's all very, I don't know how to describe it other than a platitude. And it's like, where's the dimension from this character? There was even a point in the story where she kind of made fun of Terry for being on her second husband. I don't know, y'all. I don't think Big Mama was that good of a person. (laughs) She had her favorite daughter. She had the daughter that she kind of used for her money. She had a younger daughter that was kind of wild. She had a favorite grandchild. I don't know how good of a person Big Mama was, y'all. I don't know that I really heard that opinion before but I'm gonna say it today I'm sorry y'all but anyways big mama asks Ahmad to do something for her but before she can get it out she goes into a coughing fit and dies okay so that's traumatizing for a 10 year old but at the funeral you know big mama's officially passed away everyone's really sad someone is singing his eyes on the sparrow very you know popular black churchy song and very appropriate for funerals as well so that felt true to life too Next up at Big Mama's, Maxine is upset to see that the house has been put up for sale. Now, this is also something that I will say that Terry could be viewed as being wrong about. Even though she is the guardian of the estate, I do think that there's a piece of it that should be considerate of her other siblings personally. But due to the state of her mind right now with her just being cheated on and her mother just dying, I don't know that she can really see past all of that hurt and grief to make the most inclusive decisions. So I'm going to give her a slight pass. Not all the way, though. Not all the way. But when Maxine gets in the house, she sees Uncle Pete sitting at the dinner table. He ends up starting a conversation that really isn't super coherent. And he ends up mistaking Maxine for Mama Joe. And turns out no one told Uncle Pete that his sister died. And I was like, nobody told him that she was gone? That's interesting. But I don't know that he would understand anyway. He says something about Joe taking care of him. And Maxine feels like she knows what she has to do. So this movie touches a little bit on what it means to have a mentally ill member of a Black family. And while I won't say that they do this very well, movies typically have a really hard time of doing a good or accurate depiction of real mental illness. I will say that there are some parts of my Black experience that 
I feel like are depicted when we think about Uncle Pete, about him kind of having his own thing, being separate from the family, not really talking to other people, people not really knowing how to communicate with him. That part actually feels a little true to life for me. So they did kind of okay with Uncle Pete. Next up, the ladies, you know, the sisters meet up for lunch and Maxine tells Terry that, you know, I understand that all the stuff that's going on with Miles is happening and you can't take your anger out on the world, which is true. But then she says she talked to Kenny's lawyer. Since when does Kenny have a lawyer? Anyway, she had talked to Kenny's lawyer and drew up a cease and desist to stop the sale of the house. Maxine does this in like this really smug way of like, I beat you at your own lawyer game, basically. Me, the housewife, has beaten you, the lawyer, at your own game. And Terry leaves the lunch really without saying a word. There's nothing more to talk about. I don't blame Terry. She just left. There's nothing more to discuss. Bird goes to the bathroom. And when she gets out of the bathroom, her and Maxine talk in the hallway we find out that she is pregnant and that she misses her husband and Maxine in this moment kind of admonishes Bird for trying to get Lim a job through Simwell and then Max uses the example of big mama not tripping that their dad had gambled away a bunch of money and instead working really hard to do what she had to do for the family and leaving their dad with his dignity intact I don't like that <laughs> I don't like it I really don't like it. I don't like that. Yes, men make mistakes. And I don't think they should necessarily be beat over the head for those mistakes. But where's the accountability? Where is it? Where's the accountability in that? Oh, daddy almost lost the house. So mama didn't say nothing and left him his dignity. And she worked like a dog scrubbing white women's floors to make sure that we didn't lose our house. And daddy had his dignity, even though we almost lost the house. Where's the accountability? Why isn't he scrubbing white people's floors? What is he doing to help get the money back for his family? Oh, but she's left him with his dignity. Am I making sense? Forget your dignity. We can't feed the family with dignity. The mortgage company is not going to accept dignity <laughs> on the first of them. <laughs> I agree that Bird did the wrong thing by asking her ex to get her husband a job and not honoring the request that he made of her to not pitch in and help out but I don't like the example of leaving a man with his pride and dignity and you know just buckling down and doing what you have to do and making up for his shortcomings y'all I don't like that I'm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. don't like it okay Anyways, they talk briefly about basically all of the sisters kind of envying each other. Like I mentioned earlier, Maxine envying Terry's career and Terry envying Maxine's, you know, family life, whatever, whatever. And then the subject of Max being the strongest in the family comes up again. And then Bird is like, thanks, Maxine, for always supporting me. And I'm like, why is Maxine the strongest in the family? They just kind of call her that. And I guess we're supposed to believe it. Why is Maxine the strongest in the family? Let's question that. What is it about Maxine that makes her the strongest in the family? I'm going to discuss that more later, but I'm pondering it because I don't know. I don't know, y'all. But the thing I want to point out is Bird is like, thanks, Maxine, for always supporting me. And it's like, how much did Maxine invest in your dream of being a black entrepreneur? Because it's easy to be supportive when you ain't putting in on the dream. They're really trying to make Terry look bad when Terry actually sacrificed something to support Bird's dream. And yeah, she might talk about how you need to pay her back. 
but she invested in your dream to make it come true. And nobody is as grateful to Terry as they really should be. Y'all, I'm not a Terry stan, but they just really do her wrong the whole thing. <laughs> Anyways, at this point in the story, Terry ends up pulling some strings to get Lim out of jail, as she should. It's really mostly, not all the way, I would say it's about 49% Terry's fault for Lim going to jail, okay? The other 51% is the fact that a felon had a gun. Terry didn't put the gun in his hand. They could have just had like a little bar fight and gotten beat him up a little bit and that was it. Instead, it was a bar fight with a gun, okay? That gun was not Terry's fault, all right? But anyways, in the next scene, Ahmad and Max are walking home from a basketball game. And as a victory dinner, Ahmad asks for soul food on Sunday at Big Mama's. Max knows he's up to something and he wants to get everyone together for Sunday dinner. He thinks that's what Big Mama wanted before she coughed to death. So <laughs> that's his goal. Okay. So in this next scene, there's like a little montage of Slick Ahmad convincing everyone in the family that as the last person Big Mama spoke with, he knows where that secret stash of cash is. There's like a brief scene where Miles is in the studio with Milestone. They do a brief burst and we see Malik Yoba as the studio engineer. Apparently Malik Yoba was supposed to be, I want to say he was supposed to be Kenny. Or was he supposed to be? I think he might have was supposed to be Miles. Anyways, Malik Yoba was supposed to be one of the husbands in the movie, but he was filming New York Undercover and couldn't do it. So they like gave him a little cameo or whatever in the studio. Anyways, Amai convinces basically all the adults in the family for one reason or another to come help him figure out how to spend this little bit of cash and then he'll cut them in. Okay. So everyone is interested, of course, because it's money and they will be at Big Mama's house on Sunday to figure out how they can get their hands on some of it. So it's Sunday and when Bird gets to the house, Max and her family are making Sunday dinner. Now, even though Bird is a little caught off guard by the fact that Sunday dinner is being made, she pitches in and kicks Kenny out of the kitchen saying, let the ladies handle it. And I'm like, gross. If this man wants to help in the kitchen, let this man help in the kitchen. Don't be kicking the boys out the kitchen. They get entitled to their free time, okay? Cooking, that's why I don't really like cooking. Cooking is like a commitment of your time. If I can throw it in the oven, let it bake and be ready to eat like cool beans, that's like my favorite kind of meal. Or if you throw it in a crock pot, let it sit for a few hours and, and now it's ready. My favorite kind of meal, okay? Ain't nobody got time to be investing all that time, all right? You can still eat good, healthy meals that don't require you to be a sous chef and bake everything from scratch, okay? So anyways... Terry shows up next. She heads into the kitchen to see that her sisters are cooking. And again, she pitches in without being asked. And uh, little Kelly is in the kitchen too. So they're continuing this tradition of all the ladies in the kitchen. Hmm, how fun. Okay. The next scene shows kind of like a little montage of the soul food being made. And apparently, first off, I really like this scene and how it was shot kind of cinematically. And apparently it was hand models and not the actual actors who did the cooking in this particular scene which I think is really interesting but Miles arrives and I'm like y'all could have left him out <laughs> well, he didn't have to come <laughs> and then Lim shows up too he just got out of jail y'all and so Lim is kind of hesitant to join in the festivities and he talks to Ahmad assuring him that I didn't hit your auntie I pushed her and that was bad enough but I ain't gonna hit no woman and I'm like pushing basically is hitting a woman but okay Okay, y'all. Bird comes in and is kind of shocked to see him, but is really happy. And she's like, mm, I got something to tell you. We know what it is, but she never really gets around to telling him. Okay. 
Cousin Faith shows up, y'all. They could have left her out too, but Ahmad basically has to beg her to stay. And she's like, mm, this wasn't cool, Ahmad. You tricked me. Um, <laughs> I think she's, even though the other adults kind of are like, you know, upset about being tricked into the Sunday dinner, I feel like Faith is the only one who really kind of says to him, it's not okay that you did this in this moment. So y'all, children telling lies. Anyways. <laughs> It's time for Sunday dinner, y'all. Everyone's sitting down and eating. And Ahmad takes Big Mama's seat and says the family prayer. The food looks really good. And Max says, I got a surprise for y'all later, but let's sit down and eat. They're all eating. The table is quiet. Nobody's talking trash or talking smack. So it's not 100% back to the way it used to be, but it's a start. Lim starts off the conversation by saying, mm, I got my job back. And I'm like, what the hell? You assaulted the chief executive of marketing and sales and you got your job back? What universe is this? <laughs> what universe is this? How did he get his job back? That doesn't make sense to me. He went to jail for weeks. He went to jail. He assaulted somebody at work. Assaulted and threatened someone with a firearm at a bar. Assaulted his wife and he got his job back. What world is this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay, whatever. Let's move on. So when they try to figure out like, hey, Lim, how did you end up getting out of jail? Like you're supposed to be in there much longer than this. Terry admits that she's the one that called in a favor. And I was like, Terry, girl, you just can't be quiet, can you? Look, when Terry's right, Terry's right. When Terry's wrong, Terry is wrong. And in this moment, I think it would have just been better for her to shut her mouth. Okay. She just had to say something about what she did for Lim. She just couldn't be quiet and let him surmise how he got out of jail. Okay. Or maybe not say it in front of a table full of people, whatever, whatever. Just why can't you just be a silent do-gooder girl? Okay. This is why everybody's mad about you. I was asking about your money <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> but anyways, next thing you know, she ends up revealing that Bird is pregnant and Bird hadn't told Lim yet, which also is not good on Terry's part. And then Bird ends up throwing the affair between, well, it's not really an affair, but the incident between Miles and Faith in Terry's face. That was not pleasant, okay? But Lim says, you know, it's right that you had to call in a favor because you're the reason that I'm in jail in the first place. And it's like, that's not true. Again, Terry didn't put that gun in your hand. She didn't put that gun in your glove box. You had the gun on you. And that is the main reason why you were in jail for an extended period of time. You probably would have been jail in jail for a few nights. I don't know if it was just a bar fight, but no, you had a gun. So here's again where men in this family are not taking accountability. Miles mm. can't take accountability for taking money out of the account without talking to his wife. We got Lim. Not being able to take accountability for the fact that he is the main reason that he is in jail. We got Big Mama's husband not really taking accountability for almost losing the house due to his gambling habit. Is there a theme here? <laughs> yes, of course. So as the little, you know, infidelity comes to light, Faith decides that she's going to leave, but Maxine insists that she stays. You're always running, your family, stick around, okay? Basically is what Max says. And so Terry and Miles actually start airing their dirty laundry at the table. I don't really like this. They didn't have to have this conversation at the table. I don't really care for that. But as Miles gets up to leave, 
he says, good luck with Mother Joe's money. Now, this is the first time that Maxine is hearing about some money. So Ahmad's con is up. So at this point, he was in the kitchen. And when he hears the kind of commotion in the dining room, he ends up accidentally setting the kitchen on fire by throwing like a, a dish rag onto the gas stove. So when Ahmad gets called to the carpet in front of all of the family, he turns the table on them. Y'all, this is probably one of the best child performances I've ever seen of like a really emotional moment. He gets really upset and starts crying about how all of the adults have messed up in the family. Y'all messed up the family. Can't y'all see that? All y'all do is argue. Like he does like a really good job with all of his emotions. He does a fantastic performance. And he's like, basically I lied for Big Mama. Big Mama wanted us all to, you know, be a family, get together, get along, blah, blah, blah. And so they start to smell some smoke as soon as they kind of forgive Ahmad and realize that Ahmad and all of his childlike wonder and naivete is actually pretty right about what he's talking about. And they start to smell smoke. And so the men get up and they fight the fire in the kitchen, which is low key made worse when Lim uses water <laughs> to try to put the fire out. But when Terry comes in, she's the one who finds the extinguishers to put out the fire. Now, for whatever reason, I'm pretty sure it was written into the script. When Terry comes in to see that the kitchen is on fire, she keeps saying, oh my gosh, the house, the house, the house. I feel like they want us to think that she's really concerned about what's happening to the house right now because it's not going to be sellable with the fire damage. But it can also be interpreted that she loves this house too and has so many memories in it and doesn't want to see it go up in flames. Let me know what you think her saying the house, the house, the house meant in this moment. I don't know. I feel like I know what the writer intended. But let's talk about how Terry saved the freaking day. The men were in there failing at fighting this fire and she found the extinguishers. She knew where the extinguishers were and her and Kenny put that fire out the right way. Again, a woman comes in to save the day. Terry. And she's the villain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> The rest of the family comes in the kitchen to see the damage and Lim turns on a fan to kind of get some air circulation going. I wish he would have opened a window too, but that wouldn't have been good given what's coming next. Uncle Pete surprises everyone. He comes busting through the kitchen door and he scares everyone and gets sprayed with the fire extinguisher. I mean, he ends up dropping something that falls open. The family is shocked to see that Maxine's surprise is Uncle Pete, but they're even more shocked to see that the fan that Lim turned on is blowing money around the room. The thing that Uncle Pete dropped was a television where Big Mama had stashed a small fortune. Okay, this money is so fake, y'all. They couldn't have gotten faker looking money unless it was Monopoly money. <laughs> Anyways, nobody, has anybody really analyzed what it would mean? Why Big Mama would stash a bunch of money in the TV of her mentally ill brother who nobody goes into his room or nobody really is allowed into his room. This is the lynch you have to go to when you have a gambling husband. Big Mama wasn't no fool. The problem that I have is that she let Terry pay the utilities and the taxes on her house when she had a TV full of cash. Is Big Mama a good person, y'all? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Where's the accountability for Big Mama? Y'all, I don't, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, y'all. 
as the movie is kind of wrapping up, because of this fortune they found, they get to keep the house. They get to take care of Uncle Pete, who becomes a more integrated part of the family. And they basically live happily ever after, except for Terry. <laughs> Terry and Miles end up breaking up, but he still comes by every once in a while for some soul food. And I'm like, what is it? about this character Terry that the universe keeps punishing her. First, she got to see Kenny and Maxine every Sunday. And now she gets to see her ex-husband every other Sunday as well. And then she also gets to see Faith, who finally stuck around for once. Look, almost everybody in this family betrayed Terry and she's the only one that has to stick around and, and hang out and forgive everybody. The universe is punishing her. The writer is punishing her. Terry is being punished. I think Terry might low-key be the victim, y'all. We played her out like the villain back in the 90s. But now that we're grown and it's 26 years later, I think Terry might be a victim. She wasn't right in everything. She did some wrong things and I was happy to call her out on them. But overall, I think that Terry <laughs> is the victim. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. We also see that Lim and Bird now have their own place and, you know, their baby is on the way. Terry and Maxine are getting along, which I guess is pleasant. And they are all grateful that Big Mama's legacy is their connection to each other. So the family is back on track, apparently. And I guess Maxine is the new Big Mama. But the credits roll to A Song for Mama by Boys to Men. So they start the movie with that song and they end the movie with a song as well. Loving you is like food to my soul. So that's the end of the movie, y'all. At the end of every review, we ask if the media is worth a rewatch and if it holds up today. For Soul Food, I'm going to say yes to a rewatch and a maybe on if it holds up. I think if this movie was a big part of your life for you as it was for me, definitely rewatch it to get a modern and more mature perspective on what happened in this movie. Your viewpoint may change quite a bit, okay? The storytelling is really good, the acting is fantastic, and the relatability of this movie really is kind of off the charts. That for me has not changed. The movie itself is actually really well done. But what has changed, however, is what is considered acceptable behavior and the perspective on Terry's character. There are some problematic themes in this movie, cooking being relegated to just the women, Big Mama playing favorites, the creepy sexual assault reverend, and Maxine's designation as the strongest and favorite. What is that based on? Is it based on the fact that she's the most domestic because she's a stay-at-home mom and has a successful marriage? Is it because she has the most kids? I'm really struggling to find out what it is about Maxine that makes her the new big mama. I don't understand. It was just like they said, you are the strongest. Is it because she had like the least amount of problems? We got Terry with, you know, who's on her second husband and that's not going well. And we got Bird who's on her first husband, but he's a jailbird. What is it about Maxine? It seems like her label as the strongest is more so about the luck that she, or the fortune she has in having a good marriage and, you know, a number of children and being quite domestic as opposed to the other sisters that don't have the same kind of traditional path that she has, which to me can be problematic in itself. 
I'm not saying that Maxine doesn't have any redeeming qualities. I think people seem to love her and she has a sort of stability to her life or whatever. But I feel like she really only exists in the space between stuck up Terry and wild and irresponsible bird. I feel like she did have really petty moments. She threw her status as the favorite in Terry's face a couple of times in the movie. She stole her sister's boyfriend and married that Negro and brought him around every Sunday for 11 years. Yeah, what's so great about Maxine, y'all? I don't really know. Terry's villainization is really awful in this movie. The way she was characterized and written was to make us think that she was too harsh and too unreasonable. But if we really look at her character today, while she is flawed and while she made a couple of mistakes, she is more reasonable than I originally thought, okay? The family financially abuses her and reprimands her for vocalizing that she's being abused. They don't respect her. They only see her as a purse, okay? She has the joy sucked from her. And even Terry blames herself for the state of her life. There isn't a lot of compassion for the fact that Terry has a lot of responsibility as the oldest daughter or that Terry has a lot of responsibility as the most financially successful daughter. There's really not a lot of appreciation for the amount of pressure that goes along with being an attorney. There's not a lot of appreciation for Terry all, even though she's funding a lot of the stuff going on with the family. And while I will admit that Terry messes up a couple of times by sending in Cousin Blimp to teach Lim a lesson and unilaterally deciding to sell the house, overall, I feel like she really cares about her family and I see a lot of similarities in myself. I feel like she's really overwhelmed with being taken advantage of and being betrayed and she's probably overworked too. So I see bits and pieces of Terry in myself as well. And then we have Bird. Bird is just Bird. She's a little bit wayward. She appears to be into bad boys, but she sees the goodness in Lim. And overall, at the end of the movie, you feel like they'll kind of be all right. And while Lim has a criminal history and doesn't always make the best decisions, he does come across as like a hard worker who will probably work his way up in that company and have like a good job and good pension. And that he really wants to do right by his family. So there's also weird themes about forgiving family for awful behavior. And the problem is that Terry is the one who has to do the most forgiving. Oh, forgive your sister for stealing your boyfriend. Forgive your cousin for sleeping with your husband. Bird does have, Bird and Lim both have to forgive Terry for her involvement in sending Lim to jail. But again, she ain't put that gun in his hand. So it's not all her fault. Okay. Again, I don't want to be a Terry apologist because she definitely did some wrong stuff. But the right way her character was written was really unfair. And I feel really good about all the people who are really calling that out in social media these days. Like, let's talk about it. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about it. I actually found out in my research that the movie cut out a lot of scenes where Miles was really harsh and mean to Terry. So because of that, it makes her look even more like a villain because it comes across as like besides the affair, Miles didn't really do anything wrong and that it was really mostly Terry's fault for him straying. And it's like, mm, no, I think it's normal to be like, you're an attorney and you're giving the that up for a pipe dream of being a musician like that's normal for someone to say like at least hold on to your job until the cd is made and y'all are gaining some traction no you want to quit now you want to put in your two weeks now before you have anything really like lined up so y'all there's so terry's a victim <laughs> Not all the time. For the most part, Terry's the victim in this movie, y'all, okay? Also, y'all, Big Mama didn't come across as like a necessarily a good person to me. She had favorites. She had favorite grandchildren. She obviously had a favorite daughter in Maxine. She made fun of Terry for being on her second husband. 
She let Terry take care of a lot of her financial stuff, even though she had a TV stuffed with cash and her personality just was not all there. Again, the lines that came from Big Mama in this movie were either little sermonettes and little sayings and platitudes or her talking about how she's not taking care of her diabetes. Big Mama is supposed to be the center of this movie, but y'all, I don't know if Big Mama was a good person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, y'all. As for the men, Kenny kind of seems to be the only one who's worth his salt, despite the fact that he gave bad advice and bought a, and claimed to have bought a computer for a newborn baby, whatever. <laughs> Lem, you know, is like a realistic dummy who kind of makes a bunch of mistakes, but he's going to be okay. Miles is a dreamer who has placed his needs or his desires over his wife's need for security so the movie only kind of holds up for me because of some of these outdated kind of depictions of what's acceptable and all the piling on that they do to Terry but overall I enjoyed re-watching and viewing these kind of true life depictions of a black family the fantastic acting and hearing the awesome music okay despite the, these kind of like imperfections so y'all Rotten Tomatoes has surprised me the critics gave it 82% while the audience gave it 86% often critical of how Rotten Tomatoes rates movies that cater to black audiences or that has a predominantly black cast so I'm actually pleasantly surprised to see really positive reviews for this movie I would give it slightly more at around 90 to 92% for me okay that's where soul food is in my book well that's all home slices thank you so much for listening to the soul food movie review here at media reviews did you rewatch soul food recently does it still hold up for you do you think they did terry wrong like i did share your thoughts with us on social media on youtube instagram and facebook we want to hear from you now join us next week when i review the 1985 to 1992 series golden girls with a special guest you don't want to miss it peace out Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Home slices.